Good morning, everyone. And welcome to worship at Balhelvey, and a particular welcome if you're visiting today. It's great to have you along. Hope you feel welcomed, and uh, that the the time that we have together is a is a meaningful one for you this morning. Um, for those of you who uh, perhaps haven't been before, haven't been for a wee while, please turn over the tickets that are on your pews. And that lets the cleaners know which ones uh, which pews have been sat in. We do leave by the vestry door today, and also the collection plate is just behind me on the right. Um, just to say uh, as well, um, a couple of wee additional announcements. Um, we had in the magazine put out the possibility of maybe having communion next Sunday. With the continuing situation with COVID just now, and indeed the, the increase in numbers and infections, uh, we're not sure that that's the best policy at the moment. So we will, as soon as we feel it's safe, go back to having a communion uh, service. But I think for the time being, certainly Alan and myself discussing it earlier this week, uh, felt that probably now wasn't the time. Um, and elders, um, if you weren't at the Kirk session meeting on Thursday, uh, there's a little prayer card in your pigeonholes and your dukits out in the vestry, or the vestibule rather. So please do pick that up today uh, before you go away and read the email that I'd sent to you after Thursday's Kirk session, which has got some uh, a summary of that meeting and some important work that we need to be doing ourselves over the next couple of weeks. So those are all our announcements. So let's begin our worship this morning in the words of our opening hymn, O God, You Are My God Alone. Let's worship God together.
Let's take a moment to pray together now. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are the source of all that is good and true. And you're the source of life itself. We can plan, we can build, we can make many things only you can create only you can fashion things out of nothing only you can give life to what you have made father we praise you that from the very beginning it was your intention that we should not only have life but that we should have life that is real and full and free vitally connected to you and your creation. We praise you that in Christ you've shown us the lengths to which you were prepared to go so that we should have new life. We praise you that in him and through his utter commitment to your purpose and his obedience to your will, you've left us in no doubt as to your love and your mercy towards us. We praise you for that love which will never let us off, never let us down, and never let us go until we have entered into that life which is filled with the power of the Spirit. Having gone to such lengths for us in Christ, may we not be found lacking in our self-offering to him. Lord, we know who and how we are. Our enthusiasm ebbs and flows like the tide depending on life circumstances. We believe, but help us in our unbelief. May we know you just as real on Monday as on Sunday, in the supermarket queue as well as the church aisle, in reading the newspaper as well as reading your word. Bless us with a faith that works in the real world and dares to think it might even change a little bit of it for you. So be with us in this time, we pray, and may your spirit move within us, stirring to life the embers of faith and kindling hope and trust once again because we ask it all in Christ's name. And in his name we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from John's Gospel, John chapter 4, and reading verses 43 to 54. And Carol Winter is going to read for us.
Jesus heals the official's son. After two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, and for also, and for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was a living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household sorry, he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Thanks, Carol. Uh, our next hymn is number 344, And Jesus Said, Don't Be Afraid.
Let's take a moment to still our hearts and minds in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how many times have we managed this week simply to be still? Maybe not often, but we're still now. And we want to bring our hearts and minds to attention so that as we listen to your word this morning, we know that it's a word that's spoken to us, that takes all the complexity of our lives seriously and wants to bring the gospel into the midst of it all that we might live well and wisely for you in the world and know your peace and know your joy. So be with us this morning as we listen to your word and bring it home to our hearts because we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now I know that a good number of you have uh, heard this story before but like any good story I think it's worth hearing again especially in the context of today's reading. And I'm hoping that folk watching at home, many of them may not have heard this before. So I'll tell you the story again. And it's a true story, um, set around the time of the Second World War. And it was a young man uh, called John Blanchard. And John was reading a library book one day. And in fact, in those days, library books were often donated from houses to the library. And quite often they've been owned before. And John was reading this book and he noted that in the margins there were lots of little comments. And the more he read these comments, the more he quite liked the person who had written them because he thought they were quite insightful and quite witty. And uh, he turned to the inside cover of the book and there was a name, Hollis Maynell. And he thought, I quite like the sound of this, Hollis Maynell. She sounds like an interesting kind of person. And uh, the more he read, the more curious he became. And of course, these were the days before the internet. Uh, but John had a friend who worked in the GPO, and through uh, quite a, a laborious search, they managed to track down this Hollis Maynell, largely because she had an unusual name, to New York City. And they got an address for her. And so John was able to write to her and say, hello, I've read this book and I've read your comments, and I think you seem quite an interesting person, and I'd quite like to correspond with you, if that would be okay. And she said, yeah, that would be all right. So they started to write to one another. But then John was shipped off to Europe uh, for service in the military. And over the next, teen, next 13 months or so, he and Hollis corresponded uh, regularly. And as John went through all the ups and downs of uh, life in the services and war, um, her letters became really what he was living for. He couldn't wait till the next one arrived. And they had a really strong and profound connection as they corresponded with one another. And every now and again, he would ask for a photograph. Oh, come on, send me a photograph of yourself. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that, John, because it shouldn't really matter what I look like. It's about who I am as a person, not what I look like that matters. And despite repeated asking, no photograph was forthcoming. But then came a point where John was able to get back home for a short spell and they arranged to meet and the idea was that they were going to meet in Grand Central Station in New York City. And John would be wearing his military uniform and he'd be holding the book that had started all of this off, the one with her comments in it. And the plan was that Hollis was going to wear a red rose on her lapel. And so John nervously starts his walk through the concourse of Grand Central Station. And this vision, this beautiful young woman, 
with fair hair and in a green suit started walking towards him smiling and she said hey soldier you coming my way and he smiled and was about to respond when he realized that she wasn't wearing a red rose but over her shoulder there was a woman who was wearing a red rose and when he saw her john's heart i have to say fell a wee bit because she was a wee bit older than he'd been expecting and she wasn't really anything to write home about in terms of looks and her clothes were a wee bit dowdy and so john in that moment had a decision to make what was he going to do was he going to follow the girl in the green suit or was he going to speak to hollis maynell who he'd been corresponding with for this past year and with whom he'd felt such a strong connection as they exchanged letters I'll tell you how it finishes at the end of the sermon. Today's scripture reading follows on from the story of the woman at the well, and it starts with something that's actually a wee bit of a puzzle. John reminds us of the old saying that a prophet has no honor in his own country. In other words, when people think they know you, they don't give your words the weight that they might deserve. Now, Jesus was a Galilean. He was born in Bethlehem in the south, but he was raised in Nazareth in the north. And so given that old saying about prophets, you would have expected the Galileans to have been a bit sniffy about Jesus because they kent his feather, or at least they thought they kent his feather. But John tells us that the Galileans welcomed him. And he tells us why. It was because they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, which sounds very positive. But when you flip back into chapter two and you read about that Passover feast, John makes this very loaded observation. He says, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men, presumably women too. And that's the issue here. And it keeps popping up again and again in John's gospel. People fixate on the signs, the miracles. They want to see the magic show and they entertained, but they miss what the signs are supposed to be telling them. What do the signs signify? Well, they signify that Jesus is the one who has been sent from the Father to reveal the Father. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. But that's the very thing that people struggle to understand. They thought all kinds of things about Jesus. He was a good man. He was an evil man. He was a prophet. He was a demoniac. But even those closest to him struggled to grasp the truth that he was God in human form. Nothing less than that. On the night before his crucifixion at the Last Supper, Philip, who was one of the disciples, says to him, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? 
The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So the miracles, the signs, were never an end in themselves. They were given as proof that what Jesus said and did carried the authority of God the Father and represented him to the world. But people being people, they often missed the point. And that's why this royal official seems to be met with such a harsh rebuke when he comes to ask Jesus to heal his son. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe, says Jesus. In other words, you're just not getting it, are you? And that's not what we'd expect. We'd expect Jesus to show more sympathy and compassion, wouldn't we? And all the more so because this man was showing a lot of humility in coming to ask for Jesus' help. This official would have been a person of significance in Herod's household, a man of standing and wealth. And he traveled 20 dusty miles up into the hill country from the Sea of Galilee to fall down at the feet of a carpenter and to ask for his help. Maybe he tried everything else. Maybe Jesus was his last shot and he knew it. You can sense the desperation in him. So why so hard on him, Jesus? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, I wonder if this rebuke isn't really aimed at the man himself so much as those who were gathered around and listening in. The people who were following Jesus around just because they wanted to see the next miracle. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe, Jesus says. And the you there is plural. Jesus is talking to everyone within earshot, not just the official. But at a deeper level, I wonder if Jesus is giving this guy a wee bit of a test. How is he going to react if Jesus says no? Is he going to get angry and storm off? Is he going to bring out the, how dare you, do you know who I am, rhetoric? Or is he going to keep knocking at the door until he gets an answer? What's he made of, this man? How serious is he about this request? It's a ploy that Jesus seems to use a few times in the Gospels. And to the official's credit, he doesn't let himself be put off. He keeps asking for help despite Jesus' seeming reluctance because all that matters to him is that his son gets well. It doesn't matter a jot how Jesus does it, if he comes with him, if he does it from a distance. It doesn't matter as long as the boy gets well. And it's that dogged persistence that Jesus responds to, although very much in his own way. Because he doesn't go with him, as the man asks. So there's no magic show for the hangers-on to gape at when they get to Capernaum. Instead, Jesus simply says, you may go. Your son will live. And the thing is done without fuss or attention. 
And so this second of the seven signs in John's gospel is just like the first sign that took place at the wedding in Cana. Only a few servants and a few insiders really knew what was going on. But in those who saw and marveled, a genuine faith was kindled. So how does this story speak to us this morning? Well, I think it's there to remind us that when we genuinely reach out to God in our need, in our desire, in our curiosity, or in our desperation, He will respond. He may not respond in exactly the way that we want, but He will respond. Because that's a promise. And it's one that we hear time and time again throughout the Bible. This from Jeremiah is typical. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And these words of Jesus from Matthew's gospel are similar. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Do you see what these texts are saying? God is there for everyone. But it tends to be those who put their hearts and minds into looking for him who find him. Nothing happens impersonally at arm's length in the kingdom of God. God didn't come all the way from heaven to earth so that we could stay at a safe distance from him. That was never the plan. He wants us to know him. But nothing happens in most cases until there's a reaching out in our part which shows that we are serious about it. If we sit about waiting for a thunderbolt from heaven, we could be waiting a long time. We need to go looking for God. And haven't we seen that time and time again already as we've moved through John's gospel? Two of John the Baptist's disciples are curious enough to follow Jesus down the street one day. Teacher, where are you staying? They say. Come and see, says Jesus. And that's when things start happening. Or Mary approaches him through the crowd of wedding guests with a statement that he knows is really a request. They have no more wine. And I imagine him rolling his eyes at that point. But it's not long before things start happening. Or there's Nicodemus the Pharisee who risks visiting Jesus at night, getting into the bad books with his Pharisee friends, but intrigued by who this man is and what he's doing. And they talk into the wee small hours and things start happening in his heart and mind to the extent that three years later, it's Nicodemus along with Joseph of Arimathea who bring Jesus down from the cross and lovingly wash his body after his death and place him in a tomb that we now know wasn't able to hold him. 
And of course, there's our woman at the well. It would have been so easy to ignore this thirsty Jewish rabbi sitting opposite her. Convention would have demanded so. But instead, she took a chance. And she engaged with this stranger. And her life was never the same again. John tells us that the official in today's story took Jesus at his word when he promised him without any evidence that he would go back home and his son would live. That was his promise. Dare we also take Jesus at his word when he speaks to us through the scriptures? Dare we believe the promises that he makes to us? Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. That is his promise to us today. Now we may not always receive the answer that we're looking for, but of this I am sure we will receive the Christ in some way. In consolation, in new strength, in rekindled hope. We don't always get what we want in prayer. But if we're in earnest, we always get Christ. Always. Because his life's work is to draw near to everyone who seeks him. And to draw them with more confidence and certainty into the eternal fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is serious about blessing humankind in that way. Is it wrong of him to expect us to be equally serious in return? Not to be half-hearted or lukewarm or vacillating. He's fully there for us. He wants us to be fully there. him. John Blanchard had some serious thinking to do that day in Central Station, but he was an honourable man and he didn't take more than a moment to decide what to do. He let the girl in the green suit leave the station and he walked over to the older lady wearing the rose to introduce himself. He said, I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard and you must be Hollis Maynell. I'm glad that you could meet me. May I take you out to dinner? And the lady smiled at him and she said, I don't know what all of this is about, young man, but a blonde girl in a green suit asked me to wear this rose in my coat for her. And she said that if a soldier asked me out for dinner, I should tell you that she's waiting for you in that restaurant over there, just across the street. It looks to me like you just passed some kind of a test. Smart girl, that Hollis Maynell. And I would guess that when the restaurant door swung open and John Blanchard stood there in his uniform, bemusedly scanning the room for the girl in the green suit, she knew all that she needed to know about him. 
This was a man who was worthy of her trust. This one would be with her for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, through all the thick and thin of life. This one really meant it. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Now, the person who was to do the intercessions, I don't think, is here today. Am I right? So that means it's down to me to pray. So let's pray together. Father, in the face of all that's going on in the world just now, perhaps it's not a bad thing to keep silence. Because at times it feels like we are at the end of our resources and the end of our answers. When we look at the condition of things in Afghanistan at the moment, the appalling carnage that happened earlier, in fact, last, the tail end of last week, the 170 uh, slaughtered innocent men, women, and children at the hands of violent men. The violent men who now are taking over the country with their theology of hate and violence, the ugly fundamentalism that scars so much of that part of the world. Lord, we're devastated that the opportunity for men and women of peace to leave the country to make a new life for themselves elsewhere has gone with the cessation of the airlifts we know that many will be trying to make their way across borders through mountain passes facing incredible dangers and we pray that as many as possible might get through and might get out lord we recognize the incredible burden placed upon the surrounding nations. We complain in our country about immigrants, people like this fleeing from terror, fleeing with the clothes on their back and what they can carry in their rucksack, facing incredible dangers on the way out of their homeland where they want to stay but can no longer stay in safety. We raise our eyebrows at figures of 20,000 when Turkey is taking 4 million Lord, give us grace to be generous with what we have and to have understanding for those who are literally fleeing for their lives. Lord, I don't specifically want to pray just for Christians, but I do know that there are particular hardships that Christian people in Afghanistan are facing just now because of the opposition they face from this vicious fundamentalist form of Islam which is not representative of its whole. And these men are going from door to door, looking for people who've collaborated with uh, the, the armed forces of America, the UK, other, uh, other agencies, but also looking for people who have a Bible, people who are Christians, and taking them away to torture and more likely than not death. 
we just don't know that we're living in this country with the security and the safety that we have. And we pray that these men and women would be kept safe as far as possible, that they'll find shelter, they'll find security, maybe even a way out of the country. But in the event that they are captured, we just pray for uh, the spirit of grace to give them courage beyond their natural means and that they might stay faithful and true to you. In the spirit of the one who, even as he died, prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Give them immense courage in these days, we pray, Lord. Father, Afghanistan looms so large in our minds just now, but we realize there's so much else going on in the world. We pray for Haiti and the continuing efforts to recover people there and to, to supply need. Thank you for the way the international community has been mobilized to help in that situation. We pray for funding and safe working for all those who are involved in the relief efforts. We remember the situation with COVID, the global pandemic, which makes things so much more complicated for every, everyone and everything. Uh, we thank you for the strides that have been made in our own country in terms of the vaccination program. Uh, thank you that that's progressing well, but we see the numbers rising again. We see people becoming careless. We're left wondering what to do, when to start things. It's such a muddled, confusing picture. And we pray for grace and for patience and for wisdom as we begin to try and move things forwards. Please, Lord, help us to do away with the pointing finger of accusation and blame, which doesn't help in any circumstances. And Father, we remember our own community as we think of the people around us at this time who are carrying particularly heavy burdens, worries about family or about health, bereavements, whether sudden or ones that have taken weeks and months to play out. Remember those who are concerned about their jobs and wonder what's going to be happening in a month's time or two months' time. We pray for our young people returning to, to school and to university and uh, pray for safe working for them and also just the, the enjoyment of being back in company after long spells of isolation over this past year. And we pray for all those working in education um, as they try to get things right and I'm sure that schools, universities, colleges, nurseries are safe places to be uh, and places where young people can recreate and um, have their spirits lifted after such a difficult year and a half. And Lord, we pray for our church in all the uncertainty that we face just now. And we pray that folk will feel a, a kindling in their own hearts. A kindling, not first and foremost to come back to church, though that would be lovely, but just a sense of curiosity, a sense of desire, a sense of need that will draw them close to you and make them want to know more. And Lord, your word is sure and your promise is true that when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, we will find you. Lord, may you stir that within the people of this parish. And may we not be lacking in leading them to the one who is the answer and the way. So hear our prayers because we ask them all in Christ's name. Amen.
close our worship now in the words of hymn number 355. You, Lord, are both lamb and shepherd. Now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.